Welcome to Everyday Therapist. I'm Rich from the UK. And I'm Cody from the United States. Before we jump in, we just want to say that this podcast does not constitute therapeutic advice. Welcome to our third episode of Everyday Therapist. We have had a hell of a start so far. The wheels uh, I, are falling off already. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the wheels are falling off already. Uh, I'm excited to be here, but let me, let me tell you, let me tell you what it took to uh, to get here. I woke up this morning, um, and I texted Rich this morning and and said, "Hey, Rich, uh, I'm feeling a little nervous about our episode today, and can't really." place my finger on on why i don't know what's going on and and rich was really great and responded and kind of helped me process through that a little bit or came up with some ideas and uh as as the hours went by and we got closer and closer uh i i felt better and i started feeling good and uh in the meantime uh in between those hours my my car has been having some issues my wife's car actually has been having some issues her her transmission's leaking and her water pump is leaking and we've had an appointment to take it in to get to get fixed and serviced for a couple of weeks now and that's coming up tomorrow but i'm not a car guy so i don't i don't know a dang thing about cars so i texted my my buddy and said hey my wife has some errands to run um how dangerous is it going to be if she goes out and runs these errands today? And he kind of walked me through a few things and, and said, yeah, you should be, you should be good to go. She should be fine to take it out. So. Yeah. But uh, make sure you travel separately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, so Rich and I jump on this podcast and start recording our first episode and my wife heads out to run some errands and go to the store. And, uh, about 30 minutes into, into our episode, I get a text from my wife that says, Hey, I'm at the store and the car won't start and I'm stranded. So, so I end the episode with Rich and I run out and, uh, have to jump her, her car, uh, for whatever reason. Now the battery is, is maybe going to be an issue, but I guess it's, I guess it's good. We have an appointment tomorrow. We can just get everything yeah. taken care yeah. of all at once, but. Anyways, that just added added to it, and then I get back home from from jumping my wife's car and pull up uh, our our app here to do our recording, and our thirty minutes of recording has uh, disappeared. I don't I don't know and, where uh, it is. I'm gutted. I'm gutted because you know it's it's like the best stuff I've ever said. It's like <laughs> yeah. the most the most profound intelligent <laughs> speech that anybody's ever heard, and it's it's lost into the ether. Yeah, it's it's downhill from here, and nobody will ever heard you peak, Rich. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I had my chance. You know, it's all right. Um, I can handle it. I can handle yeah. it. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, some sometimes shit happens, and it and does. that's where we are right now. Um, maybe that's where my nervousness came from. Maybe it was like this premonition of I knew I knew something was going to go wrong, and and here we yeah. are. So, yeah. Sometimes it's good when things go wrong because it kind of takes the. Uh, it takes the stress out of it. I was watching the football. I'm not really into football, which we'll talk about sometime because I see you're wearing a football shirt. But yeah, and we're son... talking. We're, we're talking about uh, 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 England, UK football. We're not talking about UK, American sorry, football. Yeah, UK football. Yeah, yeah. So I watched uh, Man United. Sorry, anybody who hates Man United, but that my son supports Man United, and I was watching the football. I try and be. I, I, I do have a bit of interest in it, but it's it's by because he's interested in it. So anyway, whenever we watch his team play, man, God, the tension is is unbearable. It's not an enjoyable experience, and <laughs> and it's so bad for him. He like he'll even accept the other side scoring just to break the tension. He just he just can't hack it. You probably understand that, do you, Cody? If you're a football guy, yeah, I um. 
Yeah, I'm I'm big into sports. Uh, I'm actually a pretty big Chelsea fan. Um, oh, wow. I had I had some friends over here that were that were uh, Chelsea fans, and and they got me into the Premier League, and so I I joined up with them, and uh, we have a a pretty good amount of us who are, are Chelsea fans over here. But mm-hmm. we have a local team here uh, called Real Salt Lake that's just maybe about 20 minutes up the road from my house, and. Uh, we have season tickets uh, to to there, and so it's just just two of them. So my me and my son go uh, out to to all of their games, and, okay. and we really enjoy it. Yeah, I heard my son said um, that Chelsea weren't very good. Uh, he's accurate. Yeah, they uh, <laughs> they they uh, they struggled last year. Uh, tons of turnover, um, and and you you begin to accept that after a while yeah. as a fan and then yeah. um and then this year yeah they they've got new ownership they brought in a bunch of different players and a new uh coach and um i think they are turning things around but it's it's a long way to go so yeah yeah interesting because we didn't plan to talk about football yeah uh, I, i'll just <laughs> sure. quickly say something so don't worry anyone who's listening that's tuned in for mental health talk and it's like oh god it's two guys talking about football um I've had this problem all my life, actually, which is I'm a guy who's not into football. And yeah. sometimes when you meet another guy and he and he brings up football because it's like social lubrication, isn't it? It's, it's something to talk about. And, and they realize that you're not into football. It's like they don't know where to go. It's like I, you just see people just going, oh, my God, I, don't, I can't talk to this guy. He doesn't understand football at all. <laughs> right. But that being said, what I've learned to do as I've got older and a little bit more confident, I will clearly uh, look someone in the eye and say, I, d- I don't follow football. And the amount of people since I've been clear about the fact that I don't follow football um, it seems to be a relief to a lot of blokes, and they say to me, "Oh, I don't follow football either." And then that becomes like a, you know, a bit of a relationship building. It's like, "Oh, we're two guys that don't don't like football." And then the sort of more annoying thing is, as I clearly tell people I'm not into football, I've actually started to get a bit of an interest in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's all completely bonkers, but anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and and to your point, Rich, um, you said that you have started watching a little bit here and there because of your son. And yeah. it, isn't that fun? That's that's kind of my story as well. Uh, I, I, was, I grew up playing soccer, as we call it here mm-hmm. in, in the U.S., right? So I grew up playing, um, but quickly switched to basketball, uh, which I'd say most American um, kids do switch to yeah. basketball or mm-hmm. American football at some point. Um, but soccer or, or world football is, is definitely growing here. And, and my son has taken that on mm-hmm. and, uh, he has, he's played on a number of club teams over the years and that's what got me back into it. And, and, um, I love it. Like I said, I'm a huge sports fan, but from, if we're leaning back into the mental health side of discussion, um, it's been a bonding thing for us. And yeah. I started to embrace it again because I knew that it was something that I could connect with him on. And it was an interest that he had. Um, and sometimes we, sometimes we as parents want to uh, engage in those things that the things that our kids are interested in to keep that connection open. And so for me, I absolutely love sports, but the reason we have season tickets to our local team here is because it actually is more of a connection between me and him. Yeah. So, so important. And I've, I've tried to do that with my children and I'm not claiming, claiming that I've done 
this in every case, but any any interest that I picked upon that they have, I think most parents do this. You, you try and sort of um, help them along and 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 do what you can to, to to keep that going. And it is a good thing, and it is nice. And I understand why people want to watch the football because it's a nice time where you can disconnect from everything else that's going on. And you can say, you know, we're watching the football. It's almost like, I guess some people find it almost meditative. It's like, um, you know, you can forget about all your other things that are going on in life and just take that 90 minutes. Although it always seems longer than 90 minutes. They keep having all this extra time and everything, especially when I'm trying to get him up to bed and it's like (laughs) time to pay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely a, um, in fact, it would be a really good episode to talk about because I think in a lot of ways, the reason sports is so successful is because it is a healthy emotional outlet for a yeah. lot of people where in society, um, especially for, for males, it's sort of frowned upon or there's a stigma around expressing emotions right? And we want to be stoic and we want to make sure that we don't show anger or frustration or sadness. But for some reason in sports, it's totally acceptable. And you can cry over your team or you can yell at your team. You can show almost any emotion out there and nobody thinks anything about it. It's just part of sports. And so I think to your point, I think it is a really, really good outlet. And I think that's why sports are so popular. Yeah. And and I'm interested in, and I don't know anything about it, but because I've just started watching football, but that that rivalry and it's like a, it's almost a, a ninety minute battle, isn't it, between these these two teams, and and then you've got this the rivalry between different towns and cities and all this kind of thing. I mean, there's there's so much that you you could talk about on that. I don't know why I've I've never because my two brothers, I've got uh, two brothers and a sister, my an older brother and a younger brother, and they were both massively into football. Um, my dad was into rugby, probably not so much football. Um, my uncle into football. Yeah, I'm I'm from quite a sporty family, but for some reason it, it's it's kind of passed me by. I just just don't quite get it. And the other thing I don't get is golf. Do you play golf? Um, I enjoy golf. I I have played golf. Um, I wouldn't. I probably couldn't say I play nowadays because maybe I get out once a year or maybe even once every two years. Mm. But but prior to the last few years, yeah, I, I actually would go fairly regularly. And I, mm. I, I never got very good, but I did enjoy going out, yeah. Yeah, well, I watched because we got this, um, this, this is not very interesting, but <laughs> I'll tell you anyway. So we got this um, uh, sports package for the TV so that my son could watch the football. And it also inclu- included um, the golf, so it had the U.S. Open or, or whatever. Um, and I started watching a bit of golf, and I actually quite enjoyed it because it's again, it's just forgetting about everything else that's going on in the world, and they're just they've just got this aim, and you know they hit the ball towards it, they would weigh up the shot, and there's all this tension and. I don't know, but it was kind of quite therapeutic watching it. It didn't hold my attention for you know in the sense that I wasn't desperate to get back to the golf, but I did start to get to know the players a little bit, and it's good. And it's all about composure, isn't it? And obviously skill and how you swing the club. But it's the mental battle, which I'm guessing that's why you're interested in sport, is it to a certain extent? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I grew up interested in sports before I started understanding the psychology behind it. But definitely as I've gotten into this field, um, I've done a little bit of research and read, read a few books on sports psychology and, and things like that. And it does interest me on a different level than it used to as a kid, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, for any non-sports fans that are listening, <laughs> what, are we, what are we supposed to be doing today? Yeah, actually, so let's transition to that. But one thing that um, that I, I, I wanted to make sure we bring up, and I'm actually in some ways glad that we're recording this for the second time because I think I forgot this on the first, the first go-around. Um, one thing that you and I have talked about, Rich, is how frequent we want to publish these these podcasts. And you and I have talked about it, but I don't think that we've shared that to anybody who's listening. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want, when, when we make our change to where we're headed, I didn't want people to think that it was dropping off or whatever. But you and I have talked about on this podcast that we're we're both fairly busy. Um, I, you know, I, I'm working a couple of different jobs and you're working your full-time job plus going to school. And then of course we have families and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, we wanted this to be consistent and helpful. But with those busy schedules, we have also talked about probably releasing episodes every other week rather than weekly. Yeah. And so I just wanted to just throw that out there that probably from from here on out, we'll probably start releasing them every other week just uh, to set up that expectation uh, yeah. so that people know what what's coming. And the other thing to, to that might be quite important is it's not just going to be us two Muppets talking at each other every week. We're actually going to have some other people on. And we've got, I think we've got a guest, haven't we, coming on? Yeah, actually. So we, we have our first uh, guest coming on here um, in our next episode. I'm really excited uh, to to bring them on and... Um, I'll, I'll introduce them, you know, in that, in that episode, but yeah, yeah, they, they, a little teaser into, to the world of who's coming on is it's, it's a friend of mine, somebody I've known for quite a few years now. They have multiple aspects that I think will be interesting for people to hear is, is one, they are also a therapist, um, probably in the process that's between, between you and I, Rich, um, where I, I have my license yet at this point and you're going through school they've they're right in between those two phases they've stopped okay. or they've graduated from school but they don't aren't fully licensed yet and so it'll okay. be really interesting to get that middle perspective on and then also they have some she not she has some really good um personal stories that i think will help add depth to just working through mental health and just everyday life and just really connecting with people that I'm really excited to to share. So a sneak peek. Yeah. And anyone mm-hmm. else who's who's listening who's thinking that they uh interested in coming on. I've I've had a couple of conversations this week just over WhatsApp and I probably haven't done the best job of promoting <laughs> people to come on because the, the point is is that we're really wanting to talk to people who've been to therapy and, it, and it's really about what the therapeutic process has been like or, um, you know, good or bad, what, what their experience has been. We're not necessarily asking people to open up about their personal problems and the things that they've been talking about in therapy. I mean, if somebody wanted to do that, yeah, that that should be fine, and we would handle it in a, you know, hopefully in a sensitive way. But we're not asking for the full reveal. It's just people's experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Just being able to talk about what what their experience was like with mental health or with therapy, and and yeah, we can keep those those personal details out if uh, if they're 
not comfortable sharing and that's totally understandable yeah so. i had to, i mean i'll i'll very quickly say because i i went to psychotherapy when i was about 21 and i know we're not particularly talking about this today but i'm i'm going to start it off if, if there's anyone thinking of coming on and it was a long time ago so I hardly remember anything about it what i do remember about it is it took place in a gp practice it was a clinical setting he was called a psychotherapist, so I assumed that he was like a, of a sort of PhD type level of person that I was talking to. He was quite a nervous guy. Um, it made me feel highly uncomfortable, if I'm honest. And I felt that he was particularly keen on pushing me down a psychodynamic route, even though I didn't even know what that word meant back then. But he was quite generally insistent in, in, in taking me in a certain direction which i just wasn't comfortable with um so there you go as a kickoff um that that's my experience and I, I i probably went for uh four or five sessions and then he sacked me and um because he i don't think he wanted to to deal with me anymore so he said that he was gonna refer me to a psychiatrist which uh, maybe I should be worried about. I don't know. But anyway, that, it never happened. This is the NHS and it all fell apart. And I, I can't remember whether my own decision or whether it all just grounds or holds. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so that's my experience. Richard, I'm sorry if I if I put you on the, the spot here. and you no, know, we, can, we can always edit this if, if you're uncomfortable. But um, with you sharing that, I'm, I'm curious... And I'll relate this to my experience here in just a second, but I know that for me, which I'll share in a minute, it was, um, it's scary to go into your first therapy session and even maybe even into your first couple. And for you to, to generate that courage, even feel a little bit um, uncomfortable because of the, the, the clinician's nervousness, and then for him to refer you out um, to, to a different professional what, what what was that like for you that part of being of being referred out um it was a long time ago and i know memories you know they kind of become inaccurate i suppose over time so that's almost a bit of a disclaimer um it felt and again just to put it in context i'm 47 years old um, so this was what 25 years ago or something like that I, mental arithmetic isn't good but mental health was not really talked about then it is you know it obviously is a little bit more now I, I don't know whether this answers your question at all but I was scared I would say first because the the, the, the rough story is that I knew there was something wrong with me well this is one of many stories I suppose I went to my GP and said, I think there's something wrong with me. I kind of had a bit of a um, emotional outburst, let's say. <laughs> and, you know, things came flooding out and, and I was put on antidepressants. And then that went on for a certain amount of time. I wonder whether perhaps that after I'd had medication for a certain amount of time, they, rather than just writing prescriptions, they decided to send me to a psychotherapist. That felt a little bit more serious than just taking medication and it almost compounded or confirmed to me that I had a problem so there's this whole other side that I've never even thought about it until this moment but once you start taking medication or you refer to a psychotherapist 
you're almost training yourself that you've got perhaps a mental illness or, or you know, some sort of problems. And then this guy couldn't help me. But I don't remember being too concerned about that. And I remember this discussion about a psychiatrist was to do with the fact that he said to me that he couldn't see that there was anything wrong with me in the sense of anything wrong in my life. Therefore, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. And I, actually, I mean, this is this is really, really an important piece that I want to hit on for a minute because um, I think that a lot of a lot of people um, f- feel this feel this very way, and I think that that's part of the intention of that you and I want to work on with this podcast is there is this stigma, there is this belief that. I, if, if I'm going to go to, go to therapy, something has to be wrong with me, that I have this problem that has to be addressed. And I think that that is maybe an older, um, notion coming into play. Uh, again, I think the mental health field has grown a, a lot. And I think that part of the conversations that we want to be able to help contribute to and, and help promote is, um, Everyday people, you know, can go to a therapist and it doesn't have to be something is wrong with us. And it doesn't have to define that we are different than anybody else. And in in so many ways, it actually makes us more human because we're not robots. We experience things and we have challenges and troubles and and sometimes something might sneak up on us that we're we're unexpected and it might produce emotions that we weren't prepared for or that we're not used to. And that is more normal than I think society wants us to believe. And so one thing that I, that I'm hoping that this field has really grown in is that it is absolutely normal to work with everyday people. And it doesn't have to just be, oh, you have something wrong with you come to therapy or you have something wrong with you, take medication. And I really am hoping that this field is growing in getting rid of that stigma. I know that I want this podcast to really continue to drive that home of it's healthy and normal and nothing is wrong with anybody who who experiences mental health things or has to go to therapy. Yeah. And, and let me share mine for a minute, uh, my experience for a minute, because it's maybe it's maybe um, a different experience than than the outcome that you just shared. But going into it, maybe it's it's somewhat the same in terms of I had that same thought of like, oh, something's something's wrong, and I don't I don't know what it is. Um, I had worked at a job that I kind of fell in love with over time. Um, it was extremely stressful job, uh, and and wore me down emotionally quite often, mm-hmm. but the work that I was doing, um, I really connected to, and it really meant a lot to me. And I had built up some really, really strong relationships with coworkers and, um, people that I supervised to the point where it's almost like when I, it's almost like we had gone through trauma together, right? In this very stressful job and we were surviving and 
more than surviving, we were, we were thriving and we were doing, doing really well and, and getting along despite the fact that it was stressful and things. So we were bonded through that. Yeah. And this job opportunity came up that I was sort of connected to. Um, and I knew that I would have actually a really good chance to get this position because I had been doing some of the work on the side. Um, and so just to step in, I would, I would already be experienced to be able to step into that position. And I, and I knew all the people that were associated with, mm -hmm. with that job. So this, this opportunity came up and I thought about uh, applying for this job and just the thought of applying for this job was overwhelming. And right. I almost felt like I was out of control and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I, I just felt high anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of described it. In fact, I journaled about it. And preparing for this episode, I, I went back and read read through my journal. Oh, right. right. I, I felt emotionally flooded and I couldn't describe what was going on. And I hadn't even applied yet. Um, so I decided to go to go see a therapist. And also, by the way, I had, I can't remember exactly where I was. I may have just finished school to be a therapist at this point yeah. with my master's degree and had been practicing very for a very, very short time. Um, but here I was as a newly graduated therapist and I was experiencing these really high emotions that were just coming out of nowhere and I couldn't explain what was going on and, and I needed to go see somebody myself. So I scheduled myself an appointment and I went and met with this therapist and I just remember my experience driving to go see this therapist as being overwhelmed on, on the way there. Right. And again, I had journaled about it. So I went back and read it in preparation of this episode and I had forgotten how intense those emotions were. I remember feeling overwhelmed, but years have passed since this has occurred. So I had forgotten how, how intense those emotions were, except for when I was reading this journal and, um, I had swirling thoughts going on in my head. I didn't know what I was going to say. I didn't know how I was going to approach things. All I knew was I was just flooded and I couldn't describe what was happening. I was worried I wasn't, I was going to say the wrong things or I was just going to word vomit and not even get to yeah. the things that I wanted to talk about, or maybe even things were going to, I was going to talk about things that I wasn't intending to, cause I just wouldn't be able to stop the floodgates. Yeah. I had no idea what to expect. I was just extremely nervous and uncomfortable to walk into this therapy session. Was it your first ever therapy session? It wasn't actually. I had been I had been in the past, um, many years before this. Um but I don't remember being this emo I, I remember feeling nervous and scared in the in the first ones, but for whatever reason this one was overpowering for me. Mm. So I'm not sure what, what the deal was there. But I know that a lot of clients go through that same thing, which which I'll get to down the road when we kind of really get into into this into this episode here but i walked into that into that very first session scared to death right and um i sat down with with this therapist and i don't even know if i got five words out before i just completely broke down yeah. and was just bawling in her office and i couldn't even tell her what was happening it was just uncontrollable and of course I felt a little silly. Um, I, it, it, something that I hadn't really experienced before and she was amazing. She was really, really awesome and really helped me to figure out what was going on. And, um, 
I might hold that part back yeah, in terms sure, of yeah. in terms of in terms of why. But but um, throughout the session, she really really helped me to figure out what was going on and why this was so overwhelming for me and why I was emotionally flooded mm-hmm. and. I was just so appreciative, even though I felt awkward and uncomfortable, like here I am, you know, again, stereotypical fully grown male blubbering in this, in this therapist's office without being able to describe what was going on. Also trained therapist, not being able to describe what was going on. I had so many counterproductive narratives happening in my head, but I felt so appreciative of the way she received me and and it and just brought me in through comfort and validation and um genuine connecting connectedness mm-hmm. i remember leaving that session and again i journaled i journaled after leaving it as well and the sense of relief that i felt by the time that i made it back to my car was incredible wow. and I didn't even have everything resolved, but the fact that I had somebody just to be there and validate and help me at least begin to understand what was going on and why this was such a hard thing for me to think about leaving this environment that I was in um, was everything to me. And yeah. I, I will never forget just how great it felt with the sense of calm that I left that office mm. with. And her and I scheduled a couple more sessions after that. I think I only did one or two um, with her after, and I that was because I felt like I was in a good place again. I, okay. I didn't feel like I needed to continue, so I ended up stopping the therapy after those one or two more sessions. Um, but she really helped me to make this decision and to go forward with with um, my career choices and feel good and confident about what I was doing, yeah. but not forgetting the reasons that it was so hard. And that was that was probably one of the most powerful therapeutic experiences that I've had, but I felt like I, I wanted to share that because I think a lot of people, just like you described, feel like something has to be wrong with us or something, just something is different. Something is off. We feel like we have to have these issues before we go see a therapist. And I don't think that's always the case. I think it's just part of being human. Yeah, what really strikes me, what what you've said, and it's you know, it's really, really interesting to me to hear your experience and what you've just described, that complete overwhelm. The question I have is what would you have done with all, what would you have done with all that emotion had you not had the foresight to go to a therapist? And, and you know, in addition to that, you think about the amount of people day in day out that are wrestling with these big decisions because what you've sort of described with you with your situation at work was you kind of knew the landscape you had these colleagues you knew where you were in the world in a sense and then you had this potential opportunity and then suddenly suddenly everything that you thought you knew comes apart doesn't it and to go back to the thing we said before the wheels fall off in a sense and there's nothing you can do about it you've seen you've had a glimpse of something else so suddenly the landscape's changed and you're in this this turmoil and it's something that, that everybody faces um and as you're talking about most people don't go to therapy 
You know, they they, right. they, don't, they wouldn't think of, of of doing that to solve one of the, well, not necessarily solve one of these problems, but but help them through it. And it's certainly something that I would have never thought about doing, perhaps even until this this point. Um, but I certainly know that I've I've felt like that many many times. Yeah, and I think that that's that's the whole idea of, of why I thought it could be good to share that because. I, don't, I think people maybe don't think of it because there's that stigma, right? Like there's this like, oh, I don't want to be one of these people who are going to therapy or I don't really have a problem in quotation marks, right? Like at some point, we talked about this before, but at some point I would love for therapy to just be part of life yeah. and it's yeah. what people do and mental health is extremely important and we all go, like you said, we all have these type of experiences mm-hmm. and a lot of times they come out of nowhere and that's called, you know, being part of the human race. Yeah. I, I think when you mentioned it, um, that you would like it to be commonplace therapy, you know, just a regular thing on the last episode that we did, I think I gave you a bit of pushback on that actually and said, in my opinion, I think that, and I was talking about men cause I am a man. I was, I was saying I, I think a lot of men wouldn't want that. You know, they would they'd be uncomfortable with it, and they just want to go and do yeah, do the football thing or go out cycling and do some men's activities and and have conversations. But I think having this conversation now and just over the course of of the last seven days and thinking about that, perhaps men might feel like that but i think a move towards therapy being more accessible would definitely be a good thing and and also just from my own experience when i was back in my early 20s had i had some more life advice i think i wouldn't have ended up on antidepressants and in the psychotherapist's uh room you know with all these because a lot of my problems were actually just what you would just call life problems. I didn't know what to do with my life. There was too, too much opportunity. You know, things weren't. Uh, had had some restrictions. Had had somebody say to me, "Look, you need to pick something. You, you can't do everything. Pick something. You need a job. You need a place to live. You, you need this. You need some friendships. You know, all those like practical things, uh, like sort of like mentor, mentorship or a mentor." Um, that, which is a type of therapy, I guess, um, you know, that would have helped me massively. So I, I agree. I, th- I think making it a mainstream would be, would be fantastic. Yeah. And I, I, I like how you, uh, redefine that a little bit and reframe that in terms of my problems were just life problems. And if, if this field could get to a place where we stop saying, I have a problem, I need to go to therapy to, I have life and I need to go to therapy. I experienced life today and now I need to go to therapy. That would be awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Dare dare I say it, like people used to have, and I'm not, I'm not banging on the drum of religion. I'm, I'm, I'm really not, but people, I was brought up in a Christian family, which had its problems as in the religion has its problems, obviously. And I was always. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to get into what I thought about it, but the point the point that I'm trying to make is that a lot of people did used to go to church, for example, or follow certain religions, and, and it was like a way of living. 
and you could say it's a faulty way of living and it's not true and all this kind of thing but nonetheless if people were showing up to church on a Sunday they'd be spending a, an hour thinking about how they should live their life for instance and you know maybe set themselves some goals try and do better and all this kind of thing and like we don't get an opportunity or at least we have to try and carve out an opportunity to actually reflect on you know how our week's been how our month's been and, and where we want to head going forwards and we don't really have any way of doing that i mean we can read self-help books but they're ten a penny and a lot of them are a junk you know i'm going off on a bit of a tangent here but what i found with like self-help books and, and things like that is the ones that are you know five tips to make you feel better and get through life and you know three ways you can overcome anxiety and all this kind of thing they're kind of interesting but they don't have any longevity whatsoever and i think that things that are more difficult to read and have like much more depth to them they they, they tend to have a, a, a more lasting effect but anyway i don't know if that makes it i've lost my train of thought i've kind of just got on one <laughs> <laughs> no, no good again life right here we are but i mean i i think what you're saying is is a lot of those things go back to that problem solving nature right like we don't have to think of therapy as a problem solving nature and a lot of those self-help articles and things of like do these five things and all your problems will go away aren't sustainable right that's that's not that's not real life they 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 sell headlines they they create some um some interest and there is some good advice in them i think we could agree with that like the general idea is that they're good but but long term is uh life is messy and five things isn't going to make life not messy yeah yeah it's it, it doesn't it doesn't fix the problem at all but um maybe therapy could a little bit well, it's not going to fix it but it's it's just some it's somebody to talk to isn't it we, do, we just don't have that and by the way i, I feel I, I sort of didn't really want to bring up religion but i've said it but my experience was that actually in that religious environment um the paradox was that most people didn't want to talk about anything either you know it's like you, you go and you go and do your thing go to church and then it's like i'm good and, and off I go and then there's people like me hanging around going hang on a minute what about this question and this big question and that question and yeah it's all it's all very messy as you said yeah yeah and and, and I think um in society in all, all over the place I think there's various reasons that people are uncomfortable sharing or not wanting to share and and again um hopefully this is opening up that door to to challenge that way of thinking and and show people that it's it's okay to share it's okay to fall it's okay to have you know various things go wrong with your car one day and have yeah. a podcast that doesn't record and and have and have to start over and and that's uh and that's okay because we all experience that yeah definitely um we were going to talk about what we've done at what i'd done at college this week weren't we and it kind of feeds into everything that we're talking about but um can you remember what we discussed format wise yeah so i think um one thing that we really wanted to spend some time on and, and i think that's why we both wanted to share maybe some of our, our examples of of going to a therapist is what people can expect what that yeah. looks like when you when you go to a therapist and um just as a as a quick recap since again our 
our first attempt at this didn't seem to save. We we kind of talked about the easiest way to find a therapist. It seems like both in the U.S. and over in the U.K. is is the old Google machine, yes. right? Type in how to find a therapist in my area. And, and I knew there was some link between what we were babbling about and what we were actually supposed to be talking about. But I kind of right. just lost my train of thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, it, it, it sounds like it sounds like that's the, the maybe the easiest way to find a therapist in yeah. in both areas. Um, over here, m- maybe one of the differences that we talked about is over here. There's maybe some an extra step of of once I find some somebody that I've connected to through Google, and, and maybe your connection is just based off of a picture or a description, some kind of narrative that they've written about themselves or therapy. Once you have found that person, the next step is maybe looking and see if your insurance uh, covers that agency or covers that therapist. And you you guys might not have that issue or, or that extra step over there. That Would that be accurate? You, the insurance side of it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically, well, you can, you can get therapy through insurance. And it's not something I know anything about other than from the therapist's side. So... Uh, Sarah Reese over on Therapist Corner. She did. Uh, she she published something about working for agencies. So as a therapist, I could approach some agencies and say, you know, I've got availability, and they would send clients to me, uh, and that would be an insurance uh, policy. So so that would be that. But most people going out there are, are seeking it. So you either go to the NHS, which of course is is paid for, then so that in fact. I didn't say this when we were talking earlier. A lot of people, if they have mental health concerns, they would go to their GP and then they would get referred to, I don't know whether we talked about this last week, but they would get to referred to something called CAMS, which is stands for Childhood and Adolescent Mental Health Services. So if you're a child or adolescent, that's what you would go to. Then, shockingly, you would get put on a two or three year waiting list before you went to see a, a counsellor or psychotherapist so that will be one route but it's it's almost I think um, the expectation is that you're not really going to see anyone you know unless things are really bad like really bad and then going mm-hmm. back to what you were saying about making therapy more mainstream there's no chance you're going to get to go and just talk to somebody about life in general Um so if you're if you're looking to go to a private practice, in other words, you're paying for it yourself. This this UK counselling directory is something that crops up quite a bit. But then you also mentioned was it Psychology Today? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a website called Psychology Today that I think a lot of people will go to and, and look for a therapist. I don't know if I don't know if that's just in the US or outside. You no, know, we have it. I've seen UK um, psychotherapists on there. Okay. Uh, but then we were also talking, so if I looked through the UK counselling directory, and, and you know, it's maybe a little bit unkind, but we were talking about the fact that we would, or I would <laughs> scroll through pictures of people and go, I couldn't talk to him, I couldn't talk to her, you know, they look like a nutter and all this kind of thing. And then these awful descriptions, I'm not saying now I could particularly write a better one, but it's like I'm a integrative or integrative humanistic uh, psychodynamic CBT therapist, you know, all words, unless you're interested in this topic, you, you likely wouldn't know what any of it meant. 
So for me, that would, as a potential client, that would probably put me off a little bit. And then also, because I'm an awkward person, I'm, I'm not that keen on the over-positivity. So I can work with you to, to you know, fix your problems sort of uh, concept, which is obviously why you're going there in some ways. So I think I'm just an awkward customer. <laughs> yeah, and... and um... I mean, yeah, that, that's going to be the same here, right? Like if, if somebody's looking for a therapist and they go on either psychology today or they just Google it, um, there's really no other way to connect uh, with somebody at that point other than to maybe look at their picture and read their description um, or even just see if they're, you know, in insurance. Some people don't even get that opportunity if they if they need their insurance. They just have to go with, with wherever that's covered. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you're going private pay... Um, that's generally what you're what you're going to find too is like okay what is this person how do I feel like I might connect with them based off of what they look like on their picture and, and the way that they've described their practice. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so shallow as well that I look at the if I go onto people's websites. I have a they, they usually show a picture of the counselling room, and it's it's usually not a good setup the, the picture. So it'll be you know two chairs. Um, sat kind of face to face, but a bit of an angle, whatever. We learn about this at college, and then there'll be yeah. some like a very neutral backgrounds. You know, you, you wouldn't have any like religious artwork on the wall or or books or anything. So it's all it's all just a bit flat, and it always has the air. And perhaps it's just the spin that I put onto it, but it always has the air of, uh, of like misery about it. Mm. <laughs> like it's, I don't know. I, I don't like the look of it. And um, I always, it, it's something that I always notice. I heard a guy talking on a podcast the other day and he was talking about, I've forgotten what it was now, but he does uh, walking therapy. So he takes people out walking in woods and countryside and, all that kind of thing. I thought well, that would that would suit me because I'm somebody that likes being outside. So so maybe I, I would look at something like that. Yeah, that that's interesting. And I mean, there's all all sorts of different varieties of type of uh, things to do in therapy. And um, you know, some of these alternative types like walking, or you know, even going out in nature, or um, I mean, there's all sorts of art, artistic therapies and, and yeah. dance therapies and, um, play therapies for kids and sand trays that people can use if they have a hard time, uh, expressing emotions or getting thoughts out and things. And they can, they can, you know, help to visualize that using sand and, and figurines and stuff. Um, there's a lot of power behind some of those things. And, um, that's the beauty of having those options is sometimes people just connect with various forms of art or alternative things like that and some mm. people um like me i don't i'm not necessarily i don't view myself as that creative of a person so i i, I would tend to lean towards the more talk talk type therapies and, and go from there and my, my story you know earlier on this episode kind of kind of showed that 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 really worked for me yeah yeah. Um, can I ask you a question, actually? I know we've kind of moved away from your experience, but this is more, I'm, I'm just very curious as to how I would handle it if I was your therapist. When when you were emotional and, and, and crying and you were sort of in that state, did they just give you the, the space? Was it just, did they just sit with you? Yeah, they a little bit of both. They, they I mean, they sat with me and kind of validated, um, gave me gave me some space to just, 
express whatever I, I needed to express. But then we we did start to to dive into some some interventions, and um, we did this sort of mind body scan a little bit, and mm-hmm. um, you know, ta- let's see if we can get some thoughts out. Let's write down you know three or four different thoughts that you might be having, yeah. and let's write down some emotions that you might be experiencing, and then. Um, can we connect those to any other time that you may have experienced that in your past? Mm -hmm. And, uh, through, through that question of, can we connect that? When's the last time that you can remember feeling some of these things? Um, that's where the heart of that work was. And that's where I really validated my experience, um, and helped me to, to get to a place where I was calm enough to be able to further explore. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really helping me to become present with, because I was overwhelmed and flooded, right? Like helping me to be able to become present with, with where I was and what was going on inside my body and my mind. Sorry to to interrupt you. The the, the reason I'm asking about that is because, uh, so at college we're learning about this sort of beginning, middle and end process of, of, of the counseling process. And one of my concerns was if somebody comes to see you in, in such an emotional state as, as you've described, you know, do you want to be pulling out the contract and saying, look, yeah, before you, before you, yeah, have an emotional outburst, this is the frequency of the session. This is how much it's going to cost. These are my boundaries, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this has been something that's kind of like played on my mind a bit. It's like somebody comes to see you in distress. And it's like, you know, how do you, as a therapist, how do you deal with that in the first instance? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really good question. And I think that Lewis, that kind of leads right into what we really wanted to talk about today is what is, what does that first session, uh, first session look like? Second session look like, what can people expect? Um, and it may change depending on how the person presents, right? Like they may come in and you may be able to dive into this contracting, which we'll talk about. But it also, they may come in and be so emotionally unre- unregulated that um, it would feel rather insensitive to be like, "I know you're, I know you're upset, and I can see that you know you got a lot going on. But if you can just hold that in for a second while we work out some of these technicalities, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that that would land very very well." <laughs> no, not at all. And I, and I do see the importance of, of the, the contracting and on the. Uh, the bit that we recorded before, which uh, yeah, unfortunately or fortunately got deleted, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but we were talking about that that initial contracting stage, and I was saying that I found it a little bit dry. The subject of you know administration sort of thing. I was just like, God, I'm not really signed up for this. I don't. Yeah, I didn't sign up for an admin class. I signed up to talk about life and people and the, the problem of living kind of thing, but. What I actually found by doing a little bit of study and thinking about it is just—it's just so important. It's, it's, it's massive, and and also the the boundary setting, which is one of the the things that is within the contract. Uh, the thing about how the the clients might not be familiar with the idea of boundaries, or they might have very poor boundaries. And as a therapist, by demonstrating boundaries to them, you'll help them put some in place hopefully that they can go out and use within their own life yeah some of the some of the the contracting and in technicalities of setting up what to expect in therapy 
in a lot of ways can feel mundane and boring and in some ways get in the way of the therapeutic process. But with what you're saying, a lot of times it can be very therapeutic. Um, there are a lot of clients who maybe they themselves struggle with boundaries. And so we as therapists have an opportunity to to model healthy boundaries for mm-hmm. the Maybe we're the very first people in their lives to model, to model uh, appropriate boundaries and help them to to learn how to to begin setting those and show that yes, I can still care and I can still be compassionate and I can still be a, a wonderful person even if I have boundaries. And they may not have seen that before. And so some of these mundane things that that feel like it's just an extra step that get in the way sometimes those can be part of the therapeutic process that we don't always realize yeah and i i know for myself that um if i let's say i'm 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 now a trained therapist and i've got a new therapist and i've got i'm starting to see clients i know that without putting some time into learning what my boundaries are and doing this contracting and everything i i'm pretty sure i would have unclear boundaries because I think I would, you know, I want to fix people's problems. You know, I don't want to be hard on somebody if they forget to turn up or, you know, they didn't have the money to pay or there was some problem with parking and they, you know, they were late for this session and all this kind of thing. I feel that I would, I would probably make the situation worse by trying to be quote unquote kind about it. And, I think the reality is, and there was some Brené Brown quote that I hashed up before uh, when we were talking about it, but um, the, the, the more, or she said, the most compassionate people um, she'd ever met were people who were the most boundaried per- people as well. So actually putting those in place, you, you're going to do a much better job. You probably get more, I don't really mean more respect, but they're probably going to, they're going to have a better outcome. Yeah, I think that um, when we learn to take care of ourselves with boundaries, right, we can off, often give a lot more than is if we're just running on empty, trying to give everything that we don't have left because it's all gone. Yeah. And and so it, it it gives us potential to to be able to be more compassionate in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. So what what I what I um, thought we could maybe jump into is is to. We, we've mentioned the word contracting a couple of times, and maybe this would be an appropriate time to talk about what that actually looks like and what that actually means um, as, as somebody comes into therapy. <laughs> yeah, well, I should right. know because we were doing it at college, but <laughs> I've, I've pretty much gone. I, I could give you, I'm going to have a go at it. So there's the uh, the practical elements like the the duration of the sessions, which interestingly it seems to be fifty minutes, not an hour. So I'm guessing that's so you've got some time to switch over between clients. So generally, fifty minutes, the frequency. So whether it's weekly, monthly, or whatever, any associated costs involved, um, and then things about cancellation fees and things like that. So they're in some ways they're all quite straightforward. You could you could put it on a, a form. And say these are the practical things and, and sign here so that's all all good and then there's the, the the things about boundaries which 
I've struggled a little bit and, and we were talking about it before and I've thought, well, what are those boundaries? But some, one that just springs to mind is method of communication. So, for example, I might decide that I would uh, state that I don't want to be contacted on social media or you can't just ring me anytime you want if you've, if you've got a problem. I don't know how you would form, form, formalize that and put it yeah, into absolutely. a contract. There's, Maybe you could um, make some comments on that. There's a couple of things that I, in addition to what you had mentioned, uh, that you would put in a contract in terms of frequency and cost and, and all that kind of stuff, I also like to mix in uh, expectations, uh, both from the, cl- from the client's perspectives, right? Like, yes. what did you expect when you came into therapy today and what are you hoping to get out of it um how would you know that therapy is working for you and how, how would you define that we're making progress right and and let the client be able to, to work those out and then i'll also give some ther- some expectations as the therapist of um you know if if we're going to continue to to work together um and, and we schedule sessions you know, I, I do expect that you will show up to those sessions and that you'll be here um, not just looking for me to <laughs> control the session, that I want you to be able to come in and, and, and for you to be in control of the session. And I will help guide whatever we are working on or whatever we're dressing. I will help guide it to what I feel like is is relevant and appropriate. But I want you to be engaged, right? Like I don't want to just come in and... and me feel like I have to try to lecture for for the session, right? Um, setting those yeah. expectations right up front. And the reason that, that I do that is because um, it, it does two things. Is, is One is it helps the client be prepared for engaging in a session so that they show up thinking, okay, I need to, if I'm going to do this, then I, that I need to do this. I need to commit. If I'm going to get anything out of this, then I've got to put in the effort. And then also a lot of times it, it really helps clients to start to take control of, of their situation. And therapy is just like a, like a minor, um, I don't know what the word would be. Whatever happens in therapy is a lot of times what's happening in a client's life. And so if we can, if we can, um, help create a scenario where they can try on new things that they don't try out in real life, then that helps them to gain that confidence yeah. and, and that ability to do so. So if I, if I set this expectation that they're going to come in and they're going to control the session and they're going to be proactive and they're going to engage in, in certain things, they might not be doing that in life. And I'm giving them the opportunity and ability to try that on in a safe setting. So I want to set that expectation up front. And that's, that's something else that I like to add in there. Yeah. And I, I I've realized I don't even remember what your question was that you wanted me to help comment on. Well, uh, no, no, it wasn't a question. It was more just, I, I think I gave some some ideas of what we were supposed to include in the contract. And I think actually that one, which I hadn't mentioned, which is sort of client expectations, is actually possibly the most important one and I'd forgotten it so so it's good that you uh, mentioned it but also because we were talking about this on Thursday night and the thing that a lot of people that come into the therapy they don't know what it is 
They don't. They don't. They don't. So, it, and we've had this discussion a few times now that you know councillors in the UK don't give advice, which is not strictly true. But let's just just keep it simple and actually explaining to the client that I'm not here to give advice um, and, and to nick somebody else's phrase that I heard somewhere recently. I'm, I'm not going to steal your problems they're your problems i'm going to help you work them out um by giving by, by creating a space for you where you can explore it um but the the thing is is trying to let them know that you know by them trying to tackle their own problems and taking ownership of it themselves and, and facing it that's going to make them stronger and when they're not in therapy and they they go hopefully go back out into the world without you, uh, they're a stronger person. Whereas if you sit there and try and yeah, solve and everything also, for them, um, then that's just not yeah, going to help Yeah, maybe at just all. touch base on this a little bit is a lot of times clients will come in and part of our, part of our, one of the best things that we can do is help them to understand that it is, it's not a problem, right? Like whatever they're going through, it's not a problem. I don't have, I'm not here to solve your problem. And in fact, you don't have to solve your problem. It's just called life. And this is just what we're working through. Um, and maybe that's where that piece of, I, I'm not gonna offer advice is because trying to flip that narrative of around of this, this isn't a problem mm. to be solved. This is just, maybe we just need to process something a little bit like like what my experience was, or maybe we just need to reframe it a little bit differently or, or maybe they just need some validation. And it's not actually a problem, even, even in the slightest, they just need some validation of, yeah. Life sucks sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, that, um, I, I'm sorry to keep banging on about the counselor doesn't give advice thing, but honestly, I, I just I'm just so stuck on that thing, and 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 I keep asking the tutor. I'm going to have to stop asking now <laughs> because it's to the annoyance of the class. <laughs> when you know we've well moved on from this, and I put up my hand and go, so hang on a minute. So a counselor doesn't give advice and i get it i get it but it's often the way that something's reflected back to the client or a question that you might ask and you're not trying to steer them down a, a path but you, you're trying to perhaps make them see something in a different way or reframe something or something like that it's actually it is it is and you, you quite you, complicated you want to ask the right questions to help steer them in in whatever direction is going to be the most helpful for them to process and there's no there's some questions land and some questions don't land and i think to your to your advice point i think that the the bottom line is if, if we simplify it is um we as professionals don't want to have a client come in and say hey i'm experiencing you know this and the the therapist or the counselor says oh well then you just need to do you know that and that will that will take your your concern yes. away or that will resolve whatever you're dealing with and i think that's the piece that's the advice piece that we we don't want to get in the business of because while we may know you know a hundred different types of therapy and different ways to reframe and look at look at things um, it's important for clients to know that we are not experts in their lives. We might be quote unquote experts in the field of psychotherapy, but that doesn't mean I'm an expert on everybody's life. And I don't know exactly one person might do 
you know, X and that's going to work. And X might actually make the, uh, the other person's life worse. They actually should have done Y. And so I'm not walking in saying do X and you, and this will be, this will be worked out. The advice that I'm giving is something along the lines of, you know, that's, that's really interesting. Have you considered, um, have you considered thinking about it this way? Or I wonder, I wonder if, um, if we look at okay. it in a, in a different way, if that will help change the, the perspective on it. And, and the advice is more mm -hmm. of an in, inquiry to what to try, what, how, how to, how to, how to look at things differently rather than go do this action. And I think that's maybe the difference. And, and I'd hope that, that clients would, yeah. um, if they're coming in for a first session or even a second session, that that's the approach that, that they would, they would expect to come upon is that, that somebody's not going to walk in them there and tell them exactly yeah. what to do. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I, I'm just sitting here and, and like, um, yeah, just to be honest about it, because obviously I'm, I'm training and hopefully people, you're going to have people listening to this who are on a similar path to me in training and get into some of these discussions. And I kind of have, and I'm not after validation here, by the way, I'm just saying that I kind of have these feelings like it's, it's too much, it's too complicated. And and somebody's with you at you know perhaps quite a critical time in their life, and on the one hand you're just there to listen and like open up a space for them, but it feels like it feels like a lot of responsibility, and it feels and it, perhaps it's the way my brain works, but there's so much nuance to everything that's going on, and you know the way you might formulate a question or the tone of voice or whatever it, it could put somebody off or send somebody in a different direction that they didn't want to go in and all this and, and it all just feels extremely chaotic which is i guess why you do training and i might come to the end of that training and go actually I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it <laughs> it's it's too crazy so who knows who knows but i'm on i'm on a journey and we'll, we'll see what happens i think that um and as I'm saying this, this is a completely side note. I, I, I've realized just sitting here now that I almost start every single time I talk with the words, I think. So I need to pay attention to that as, as, we, as we go forward. But to your point, to your point, um, every, every new therapist come, that I'm aware of comes, comes in contact with that same self-doubt and that same fear of this is a lot of responsibility and certain words that I say or certain tones that I have, or even my body language, uh, might be detrimental to somebody that, that I'm working with. And I think there it is again, that one of the, the factors that you grow into as you get more and more comfortable in this field is that idea that I am not the expert in a client's life or in another person's life. And it is not my responsibility to address whatever issue they might be working through. It, it's to be a fellow traveler yeah, in like their that. life, right? And in their world. 
And I, at no point in time, do I need to come up with the answers. And that's where we're getting right back to that advice thing. I am not responsible to give advice because I don't actually know what's going to be helpful and what's not going to be helpful. But if I can take the role as the most supportive and encouraging fellow traveler in somebody's life, then maybe we can figure out something together and we're going to try this technique. And if it doesn't work, we're going to maybe try another technique. And if that doesn't work, guess what? We're going to try a third technique. Yeah. And we're just going to keep giving it a go until something sticks. And sometimes it something might stick. And then a few months later, it no longer sticks. And we need to, to try something else on. But that's okay because going back to the beginning of this podcast, life is messy. And it's never going to be the same. And maybe one day I can work through anxiety in a certain way. And then the next day, that same way of working through anxiety doesn't help. And I need to figure out something else because it's back and I, and I want to, and I want to manage it. But having that fellow traveler is just comforting and, and brings calm. And, and that again, I'm sorry to keep bringing this up, but in, in my session that I had with, with my story that we started here with, I didn't need her to solve whatever I was going through. She mm -hmm. didn't give me advice on literally anything. She didn't tell me if I should apply for this job, if I should stay where I'm at. She didn't tell me anything. She just joined my journey and sat there with me for the time that I needed it. Yeah. And just was somebody to, to talk to that I didn't have that could understand where I was at. Yeah, I love that, and and I could tell you're a good therapist because I've I've listened to you there, and I feel I feel reassured. He's, he's like, <laughs> honestly, honestly, it's like oh yeah, I, I love the, the the fellow traveler analogy. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. And when you when you put it like that, and and how that therapist sat with you, I really like that. I feel like I can do that. I think I just get lost down the rabbit hole of of this and that and. When I first heard the, the Carl Rogers idea that uh, you're not the expert, and in fact you're you're almost like not a neutral present, but it was kind of this revelation that you don't have to be the expert. I thought, oh great, yeah, that's easy. It's actually more difficult than I thought to 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 re you kind of have to work at just letting go of everything you think you know about someone and something and and life itself, and just go. You know what? I know I don't know anything, but I'm gonna sit with you, and we're we're gonna. I like your your sort of way of you know we're gonna figure it out together. Yeah, and that really really leads us into the the next piece that I wanted to talk about, and and maybe the last one for our episode, yeah. given that we're we're over an hour now. And oh right, okay. I think I think we learned on our last one. Uh, yes. This is about about our cutoff time, right? Yes. yes. So this last piece that I, th I think is really important, what people could expect as they're going into, into therapy is that very first session that they might sit with somebody is extremely important for the therapist to get to know the person that's come to therapy and also for that client to get to know the therapist. It's a, it's a trying on of sorts for both parties. Mm -hmm. And if if it doesn't click, if it doesn't work, if there's something there that just says, I'm not sure that this person is right for me. Um, if a client feels that way, that this therapist isn't right for me, that is totally okay. All, 
all therapists have been trained to understand what we call the therapeutic alliance. And it's basically the relationship between the therapist and the client. Yeah. And if that's not there and if it's not strong, studies show that the therapy is not going to be as effective, if, if effective at all. And so different people connect with different people and different people connect to different types of therapies. Like we were saying earlier, some people might yeah. connect to going on, going on a walk and other people might connect to talk therapy. Um, so as, as a client going to a therapist for the very first time, pay attention to how, what that feels like, you know, did, even though it might feel scary and it might feel awkward and you might break down like I did in my first session, did you feel connected? Did you feel validated? Did you feel like this therapist is somebody that I can connect to? And if they do, that's probably a really good sign that you can continue to work with that therapist going forward. If something just feels off, it is more than okay to go try again and go meet another therapist and, and, and see if you connect with that second person better. And I would hope that, that that therapist would completely understand that because we've all been taught how important that therapeutic alliance is. And we want, we come in this job to, to help people. And with knowing how important that is and knowing that we want to help people, sometimes it just doesn't click and that's totally okay. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end today. You know, I think uh, it's reassuring and I feel ready that I could go off and, and, and be more successful in finding a therapist, which I actually have to do that. So when I do my level four, part of the agreement is that I have to be in therapy myself for 12 months, I think. So, uh, yeah, all good advice. Okay, great. Well, um, on that note, let's, yeah, let's go ahead and end it. I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, just one more shout out to if anybody is interested in coming on the show and sharing their, their story through their own mental health or through seeing a, a therapist and what that experience is like, we would love to have you. But until next time, thanks, everybody, and, and we'll catch you next episode. Thanks, everyone. Take care.